0: Thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the presenters themselves and are not to be taken as an official position of any organization. This podcast is independently produced and is in no way endorsed nor funded by Workday. The guidance discussed on this show is informational only. Always consult a certified Workday implementer before making configuration changes to your Workday tenant. All right. Hi, folks, and welcome to the very first episode of Workday Innovators Dojo, a.k.a. The WID, which is your source for the latest in cutting-edge Workday expertise. I'm your host, Peter Shepard. I've been active in the Workday ecosystem since 2014 and have personally supported dozens of organizations in their Workday journey as a certified implementer, an independent consultant, and a Workday customer. I created this podcast to highlight the experts of our ecosystem and share their actionable insights with you. With me today is my dear, dear friend, Eddie Garcia, who is a product lead in Workday Authentication and has come to us to talk about just that. Eddie, would you mind giving a little intro on yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Peter. Uh, Nice to see you. Um, Hello, everybody. My name is Eddie Garcia, and I've been in the Workday Consulting space for about 10 years. Uh, I've been a product lead for authentication for about half that time Um, in during my tenure, I have worked and partnered with a wide variety of clients from different industries on their authentication approach, which has allowed me to gain a decent perspective of common trends and things that work well for specific InfoSec requirements. Um, I was also fortunate enough to present at Altitude alongside another uh, Workday partner, and the topic was uh, single sign-on, which I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about today. Um, I'm excited to be here, um, and yeah, let's get this thing going.
0: Thanks so much. So, um... So help set us up here. What do we mean when we talk about authentication and security within Workday?
1: Well, yeah, it's definitely a very broad topic, but essentially we're talking about securing data and actions within Workday so that only users with a business reason are able to access a process, a report, or a piece of data, um, and that they're able to do so effectively. Um, it also means taking precautions to ensure that bad actors are unable to access your tenant and therefore your organization's data while creating controls and audit processes to actively monitor who is accessing your data and how.
0: Awesome, that's that's great. Thank you. So, you know, Workday is a modern tool, cloud-based system. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the the sort of options we might have for accomplishing the goals that you just talked about?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. But there's quite a few.
0: Okay, well let's uh, let's do this. Let's start with the basics. Let's say I'm a brand new Workday customer. Maybe I'm just getting ready to go live. What do I need to be thinking about on day one?
1: So for starters, the first thing I would recommend is you should be thinking about single sign-on or SSO, as is also known as.
0: So help us understand what what do we mean by single sign-on?
1: So single sign-on, it basically means that you're utilizing an identity provider like Microsoft, Azure, or Okta to handle authentication of your user community. And having that provider also act as a gatekeeper to in turn authenticate with Workday. Uh, most organizations of scale have some, so, some sort of uh, single sign-on, which allows users to authenticate once in the single sign-on provider and then jump across multiple applications seamlessly with a, without having to re-authenticate. So you can think about, you know, having a portal and then being able to access different applications, Workday being one of them.
0: Got it. Got it. That makes sense. And and what would you say, you know, maybe I'm not an organization of scale or maybe I'm a, even a new organization entirely. Um what if I don't have single sign-on or uh, I'm not able to uh, to get that connectivity on in place on day one? Like what, if, what would be the risks in not having that?
1: Uh, quite a few, to be honest, but uh, without SSO, end users would have to authenticate using passwords. So basically, if you think about it, just a simple username and password combination, uh, this can easily be compromised compared against the single sign-on setup. Um, users would have to remember their passwords, which again, if if, you know, human factors are in place, um, you would have to possibly have to reset a lot of passwords on a set schedule and manage how these passwords are being reset across the organization. Uh, For larger enterprises, as you can imagine, this can turn into a nightmare pretty quickly, um, and it's usually um, an untenable approach, and this sort of thing just makes chief security officers' blood run cold.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. We got you know everybody's got a dozen passwords they got to manage. I can I can see that getting uh getting pretty hairy. So it sounds mm-hmm. like you know single sign-on definitely the right place to start. Let's say I have that in place. Are there other things that I should be thinking about in order to to better
1: secure my tenant? Absolutely. I would say the next step after single sign-on would be some sort of multi-factor authentication.
0: And help us understand what what do we mean by multi-factor
1: authentication? So the easiest way to think about it is another layer of security besides just a uh, username and a password. So for instance, uh, it it just means utilizing uh, an overlapping technology on top of that initial authentication process uh, with the idea that if one mechanism fails, the second one would prevent some nefarious act from accessing your tenant or or just taking place within your um, organization.
0: Got it. So you can use multi-factor authentication with, with username and password, but can you also use it with single sign-on?
1: Absolutely. Um, so a lot of times what happens in those cases is that multi-factor authentication ends up taking place on the identity provider side. Um, however, Workday now does support um, Workday's MFA for even those cases where you use single sign-on.
0: Got it, got it. And so these different multi-factor authentication options, it sounds like there may be different ways of going about it or, or different technologies. Can Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Sure, absolutely. So WorkFit currently supports SMS text messages, email authentication apps, such as Microsoft or Google Authenticator, um, and also uh, something that's known as challenge questions, which we can probably talk a little bit more about.
0: Yeah, help, help me understand what, I, I guess... I'm having a hard time picturing what you mean by challenge questions.
1: Yeah, so challenge questions are set up by the user themselves. And these are specific pieces of information that in theory, only that person would know. Um, As an example, the name of your childhood best friend or the street you grew up on. This is typically considered the weakest form of MFA as these kind of questions can sometimes be socially engineered or gleaned from publicly available information. And, And oftentimes these are, not considered true MFA, um, but for the sake of this discussion, we can consider them uh, the weakest form of MFA.
0: Okay, so, so fair enough. So we talked a little bit about the weakest. Let's, uh, what about SMS texting, uh, SMS texting excuse me, and, uh, and the authenticator applications? How, how do those work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when enabled, uh, the end user will register their cell phone number. Um, so this has to be configured within Workday at the time of this setup. And also, they can also if you're taking the authenticator or sorry, authenticator app approach. This is typically installed on a mobile device or a smartphone, um, where the user is then able to scan a QR code from the tenant directly, and it basically sets it up automatically on their device. Um, gotcha. Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay. And how exactly using these additional technologies, like how, how does that make workday more secure?
1: That's a great question. So let's say someone's workstation was compromised and a bad actor is attempting to access Workday from that workstation. If these multi-factor options are enabled, the bad actor would be unable to get to Workday as they would not have access to the smartphone, which is needed to complete that second layer of security authentication. Um, Definitely extra points if the user has a lock on their cell phone device so that there is that even extra layer of security so that you know, even if both the workstation and phone were to fail and fall in the wrong hands, the bad actor would still be unable to access the system.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay, that that makes sense. Um, any other authentication features that that you want to talk to us about or that our audience should be aware of?
1: Yeah, certainly. So Workday supports the IP uh, whitelisting out of the box.
0: Mm, you know, I was following along pretty well, I think, up until this point. But now you start throwing acronyms at me, I, I get a little bit out of my depth. Um. For those of us that may not be coming from a technical background, can you explain uh, what what IP whitelisting actually means?
1: Sure, absolutely. And didn't mean to throw acronyms, uh, but definitely it's not as scary as it sounds. Um, So IP stands for internet protocol. So we're talking about internet protocol addresses. The easiest way to think about it is very similar to a phone number, meaning it's a unique identifier to a caller or a user. But instead of identifying someone's cell phone, it's identifying the network that they're calling from. So to whitelist an IP address, I'm basically saying only allow calls or authentication attempts from a given network or networks. um, And I'm going to intentionally block any other calls from any other um, IP range.
0: Got it, got it. So to take it back to your phone example, IP whitelisting would be the equivalent of kind of automatically blocking junk calls, right? So my my phone would basically only ring if I knew the person calling. Is that a fair analogy?
1: Pretty much. Uh, What most organizations will do is whitelist their company network uh, and if they have a work from home population, they will whitelist the IP address of whatever VPN they have their employees working on.
0: That makes sense. Okay, you know, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned uh, the the work from home population. Um, beyond whitelisting and utilizing VPN, uh, are there any other options that that we should be considering with that that specific group of workers, the work from home population?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Something I see used increasingly, especially since 2020 and the work from home revolution is utilizing step up authentication.
0: Step up authentication what what is that?
1: Yeah, it's it's basically a way to further secure certain aspects of your tenant or sets of data and force a given user to verify themselves once again before they're able to access that component.
0: Mm, I'm I'm still having a hard time. Can you kind of give me a, a an example like walk me through what how that might be used?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, let's say a given customer is live on workday payroll, and let's say they allow their work-from-home population to authenticate with single sign-on and a VPN, which is whitelisted. Now, they may allow users to review their own payslip without any additional security applied, as it is fairly low-risk activity. However, they may force their payroll manager to authenticate the authenticator app uh, before they're able to execute a payroll run, for example, hence stepping it up. Another example may be forcing additional verification to review a report that has a social security number or other sensitive um, information or data.
0: Got it, got it. So now is uh, is step-up authentication is that only available to, to work from home users?
1: Oh no, luckily it's not. Um it can be a force for in office users as well, um, and basically your entire population. I've just found that in recent years, it's utilized more heavily from work from home users, as there is more of a concern that data can uh, grow legs uh, or be compromised when workday is accessed from uh, away from a company office.
0: Got it. Got it. No, that's that's all really helpful information. Um, well, so let me ask you something. In, in your opinion, authentication expert, altitude presenter, seasoned workday professional, you know, can can a tenant ever be too secure?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And personally, I think the answer is yes. A discussion I always like to have when considering authentication options is the incremental benefit to an additional component of security versus the difficulty or inefficiency that that component may introduce to your end user. Um, At the end of the day, we're looking to create a user experience that's intuitive and streamlined. Um, So adding additional or more complicated layers of security could become a roadblock in that uh, process. Um, if a yep. user is prompted too many times to authenticate, for example, in their normal cu- course of work, it creates a barrier to utilizing the system in the way that it's intended.
0: Got it. Got it. So it sounds like even though we have, you know, all these technologies and these different approaches, there's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach to to authentication setups within Workday.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, I would say definitely not. Um, authentication setup always warrants a discussion around technical capabilities, yes. Uh, but also measuring organizational risk, user experience, and also InfoSec rules or policies that may be in place.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that. It reminds me of a former retail client of mine who I think must have really skipped the conversation about usability and end user experience. Um, as soon as we got them live, their CIO came in. Disabled mobile access, disabled offsite access, forced their entire end user community to to strictly utilize on network machines to access Workday. Those machines were about ten years old and were just slow as molasses. Um, you know, it meant their workers had to had to go on site just to you know access their pay stubs on these horrifyingly slow slow machines. Um, you know, just just really really a, a, an arduous arduous experience to get into Workday.
1: Yeah, not getting exactly the full value of their investment in Workday up eh?
0: Yeah. No. I mean, what what it really meant is their end users they forget how to use the the tool entirely. I mean, they forget how to log in, what to do when they got there. Um, to me, it's like the organization they they bought the Ferrari, they bought Workday, uh, but they're just going to leave it parked in the garage. It just just made no sense to me.
1: Yep, that's definitely one way to put it. Um, that story reminds me of something else I try to impress on my clients when discussing authentication, and that is that these conversations need to take place across all stakeholder groups. Uh, for the system, not just IT and security teams, there has to be a balance struck between keeping the system secure, but also allowing an intuitive and a streamlined experience for the user community. And you only get that balance when each group of stakeholders gets a place at the table.
0: Got it. That, I think that's really, really great advice. Um, so changing gears a little bit. Um, for our workday customers who have been live for some time and and maybe they're feeling secure they they might have single sign on maybe they're even using multi-factor authentication um you know as an authentication professional are there any kind of gotchas or blind spots that that maybe they should be thinking about
1: yeah okay. there there are a few um one area i find time and again gets overlooked are non-production tenants so these are more like sandbox preview, or any implementation tenants that you may have um, oftentimes, organizations do most of the work securing production, which makes sense, but also fail to recognize the organizational risk of leaving non-production tenants unsecure.
0: And help me understand, what, what kind of risks are, are those You know, if, if my non-production tenant gets, gets compromised somehow?
1: Yeah, I mean, top of the list, if you think about it, is data security, right? Let's say a bad actor has gained access to your sandbox tenant. That means they have access to production data that is at most uh, one week old. Um, I would like to think that most organizations would want to have a pretty strong padlock on that wealth of information.
0: Got it. And is there anything else that can happen if, uh, you know, let's say, like you said, if if sandbox gets compromised, anything else I need to worry about?
1: It means that they could potentially review a tenant security configuration as well. So they may be able to glean insights that could potentially allow them to in turn compromise production.
0: Got it. Wow. That's uh, that's scary stuff. Um, Well, so for, for these non-production tenants, uh, what, what options do we have out, out there for, for securing those?
1: Yeah, basically everything we've talked about so far. So single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, whitelisting, and step-up authentication. Um, all of these concepts can be utilized in production and non-production tenants alike. And these are all driven via authentication policies. Uh, when having these discussions, I try to impress on whatever organization I'm working for that all of their work attendants hold valuable data and need to be carefully considered in their authentication strategy. You don't want to put 10 locks on your front door, but then leave your back door completely unguarded.
0: Got it. Got it. No, that, that makes total sense. Um, so we have just a few minutes left. Uh, any other gotchas or, or pet peeves that you, you might want to share?
1: Yeah, maybe a pet peeve. Uh, next on my list would be uh, implementer account hygiene.
0: And what do, you, what do you mean by that implementer account hygiene? What, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, I think most of our listeners, if they've worked with a Workday certified partner, are likely familiar with implementer accounts. Uh, These are basically uh, service accounts controlled by Workday, which are restricted to only certified Workday implementers or partners. Uh, They hold tremendous power and typically have access to most parts of a given tenant, including, you know, configuration and data.
0: Gotcha. And the idea being what, a certified implementer? is configuring on the behalf of a customer's requirements. So they they really need access across the tenant to to build effectively. Is that, that about right?
1: Exactly. And now while I personally love my implementer account, you know the old adage, with great power comes great responsibility. What I often see is implementer accounts are requested when onboarding a new consultant to a given tenant. What is often overlooked is securing that account in a thoughtful way as time goes along.
0: And how do you mean se- securing that account in, in a thoughtful way? What, what, does, that, uh, what does that really mean?
1: Yeah, so I like to start with the basics, Uh, basically setting an expiration date for the account's use. Uh, I typically recommend no further than one or two months in the future. Um, And also remember, you can always extend this timeline if a project goes longer. Um, Also set a mindful threshold for forcing a password reset. In some instances, implementers may be the only people authenticated with a given tenant utilizing a username and password, as everybody else is utilizing single sign-on, so the password rules in your tenant may not be closely managed.
0: That uh no that that makes perfect sense. Is there anything else you know this implementer account hygiene and anything else we should be mindful of or, or practicing?
1: Yeah, in the topic of you know implementer accounts, um, if your implementer uses uh, VPN, which a lot of them do, um, have them provide you with their IP address or IP ranges so that um, you can add it to your whitelisting setup for your implementer accounts. Uh, this way, um, the only authentication attempts coming from your implementer's VPN will be able to complete successfully. You may also want to create a basic report showing which implementer accounts are active in your tenant and schedule that report so that it's regularly reviewed.
0: And and why is that exactly? Why do I need a report on top of everything you, you described?
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd be amazed at how many times I've worked with multiple clients and they have scores of active implementer accounts that are no longer needed or that are no longer even working for that company. Um, In my mind, any implementer credential that is live but not actively used is a potential security risk. And given the great power that we have, it's incumbent to any working customer to closely manage those accounts and take at least uh, the few basic precautions to guard against the worst.
0: Awesome. No, thank you so much for that insight. uh, I'm sure our listeners will find it really helpful and I I can imagine some are reviewing implementer accounts even as we speak. so I, I think that's about all the time we have. Uh, Eddie Garcia, my dear friend, thank you again and coming in and speaking with us. Uh, I feel like every time we connect, I, I come away with something new. Uh, I'm going to put a link to Eddie's LinkedIn profile on the show notes if you'd like to get in touch with him to discuss these concepts any further. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you heard, go ahead and hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you might have found our podcast. Uh, And honestly, if you have a concept you'd like to hear more about, or even something you yourself might be interested in bringing to the show, drop a comment on the episode. I'd love to hear from voices across the ecosystem. I mean, customers, consultants, independents, innovators of all stripes, they're all welcome here on the Workday Innovators Dojo. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.